Okay. Okay. So last, like two days ago, I described to you this pressure that I have at my nose and then it gets strong and goes into my forehead and my eyes mm -hmm. feel like, and um, I investigated it a bit and it makes me a little bit scared of breathing because the deeper I take a deep breath, the stronger it gets and I make a really big deal out of it. And I don't know if it's a common phenomenon, but do you know when you walk, when there's like the sun is really bright and you walk along a river and the river, like the sun is shining in your eyes and the reflection of the sun on the river and you're like cramping like this because so it feels like this. And um, I've bought this, like the spray, like you said, and really cleaned my nose before. So I don't think it's a sinus or sinus. Um, and it started in meditation like one and a half years ago when it started with TMI. And I think it was due to over effort. And then I worked it out and like really put no effort. And but it still persisted. And even persisted in daily life, like reading a book, like stuff where I had to concentrate. And then st even stuff where I had to concentrate less, for example, talking to people. Um, Yes, that's basically it. But the funny thing, it's not always there. Like it can go away. For example, yesterday I had a meditation session. I sat down for 30 minutes before I'm going to training. And I really briefly closed my eyes and it wasn't there. And it was like an amazing session. There were almost no distractions. Um, I like after five minutes, I got so relaxed. I got goosebumps all over. Like I was really joyful. I wanted to smile. I was happy. And after 30 minutes, I even wanted to keep sitting. But I had to get up to get to my appointment. Um, and I noticed this, this happy feeling, joy, satisfaction, like in other moments too. For example, when I was preparing my food, I listened to a chat you had with um, some other guy. And you were reading out of the sutra, and were, um, you came to the part about the Four Noble Truths. And you were like, at the, I think it's the third one, where this is cessation of suffering. And I was like, yeah, what, what the fuck? This is cool. This is cessation of suffering. And I got really hyped. <laughs> and yeah. Yes, that's an important point that a lot of people don't um, uh, think about or emphasize. But um, this is part of what sunyata, or emptiness, is all about. Because <coughs> that third noble truth is actually that <clears throat> because we've done the dukkha part, we know what it is. We know what causes it. We've been working on the development of the skills, and to now we reach a point where it's not there, and a lot of people will just miss that. So if we're paying attention to it, like you, you woke up and said, wow, yeah, this is, <laughs> there's, there's no suffering right now. That's the whole point of all of this is that this is really nice. There's nothing, no worries, nothing. This is really nice. And to be able to be in that state quite often throughout the day is, um, you know, the, not the goal, but it's part of the practice that when we're gathering these factors together. So now let's go back to the issue about uh, the sensations in the face around the nose and above. Um, one of the ways that you can play with that is by, uh, let us say, systematically changing the rate of your breath and then noticing the effects. Because obviously you've already expressed the fact that there are times when, there, when this is not there and that it already looks like that it's there the most when you're working the hardest. Yes. Okay. And so we can actually use the long, deep breath that way to start monitoring, oh, if I'm taking a long, deep breath that's very, very gentle and very subtle, does that, in fact, help relax that stuff? Or am I taking a, an intentional, forceful, long, deep breath? 
Mm -hmm. Okay, and so you begin to play with the breath in the sense of experiencing the effects that it has. This is part of the investigation. Is to use the breath to investigate how you get into that and how you get out of it. Because you've actually been knocking on the door now. You've actually got it to the point of knowing sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. That's part of the wake up. Now we're going to start adding the breath and factoring it in so that we can figure out what is it that causes this in the sense of how am I breathing or other factors. Okay. And a way that you can do that is also understand the approach. In other words, the onset or the coming on of it. In other words, if you can catch this stuff as it's coming on, is much probably easier to deal with than when it's really there solidly. Mm, yes, but the thing is that I sometimes go into meditation with this because I was reading a book before, or just when I get up, read a book, then get into meditation, and then it's just there, like before getting to know. Okay, it. so it started. It started while you were reading the book. Yeah. But that you didn't notice it until you started meditating, and then you recognized, oh, it's been here for a while. Ah, oh, no, no, I noted. I, I, I noted while reading the book. I'm like reading, and I, oh, no, it started again. Okay. So, now let's look at the fact that when that sensation comes, you decide to feel annoyed about it. You just expressed it that way, with the annoyance, that you're annoyed by that sensation. Yes. <laughs> okay. You may not, in fact, be able to deal with the sensation itself easily yet until you recognize it for truly what it is. But one of the things that you can see is the fact that you're getting annoyed by it. Okay. And so you're actually making it worse by being annoyed by it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Guess what? That's very typical. That in fact, the annoyance winds up being the bigger of the two issues. Every yeah. time I recognize it, the annoyance grows. <laughs> and then it mixes up with like there's annoyance and pressure and annoyance and pressure. <laughs> uh-huh. And the gnawing feeling that I got to get rid of this thing. Yes. All right. So now we got full-blown dukkha going. Before you were talking about a sensation in the face, and now you're talking, look at what you're doing with it. <laughs> this strong desire to get rid of it, in fact, may be part of the factors of keeping it there. The strong desire. Yeah, and like there's even more than annoyance. There's like, okay, maybe I can't even meditate because of that. Maybe like I'm not capable. Like there's a lot of doubt, doubt, doubt because of that. And yeah, I'm making a big deal. I know that I'm making a really big deal out of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And by making a big deal out of it, it actually is almost like piling on. And you feel this big pile of stuff now coming on, where in fact it was only just a little sensation, but you let it pile on. That piling on is what happens to the victim, is he feels like it's being piled on, or that we're not capable of handling that. So this is part of the Eightfold Noble Path, this idea of getting your mojo going, or getting it to, in fact, <laughs> something really funny. We actually were doing a sutta together, Chantan and I, about a month or so ago. And there the word is. It's in the Pali, mojo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not bad. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is that, this is that, um, that e the extra part of the energy is the enthusiasm that comes with knowing that I can handle this. All right. So the trick for you right now is to not get annoyed with it, to investigate it joyfully instead. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to figure out what's going on here. Okay. 
is the right attitude because if you're annoyed by it, then you're repelled by it. And that means it's really hard to look through all of those hand fingers that you're holding up. But if you go like this instead, who are you? What's going on here? Then you'll be able to understand it better. And so this is the change of the attitude that comes along with this investigation that is part of the Eightfold Noble Path. You've got to change the attitude when it's there to match the kind of attitude that you had when you recognized hey, this is really great. <laughs> It's funny that we've been talking about this, like the three last sessions, always about this right attitude. Don't victimize yourself. <laughs> it's funny how deep it can be ingrained in someone. Yes, it is. It really is deeply ingrained. And the whole point about bringing it up over and over and over again is because now by you hearing me, understanding me, gaining some enthusiasm about it as you layer this into your new short-term memory systems you're more likely to remember this rather than remembering the annoyance yes <laughs> this is the way that the mind works we're laying layers of sankara over and over and over again the sankara layer of, of joy and i can handle this and uh it's just a little sensation in the in the face anyway no big deal that in fact it doesn't hinder your breathing no no all right so you can still <laughs> breathe so therefore the only thing that that that's a problem is is that you don't like it <laughs> uh. And so here we are right in the middle, in fact, of Paticca Samuppada, of understanding that this sensation I don't like. And because of that, I start grasping and clinging to get rid of it, and you wind up in the hell of annoyance. Yes. You're reborn in hell because of a little sensation. And now you can say, hey, man, I am not going to feel bad. I am not going to go to hell just because of you. Sounds like a good attitude, you. yeah. <laughs> yeah, change the attitude. That's all it takes. And then the actual effort becomes e much easier. Okay. I may have told you this story before, but the story is, is that the mom tells the teenage boy to take the garbage out, take the trash uh, out. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, exactly. But when he sees how stinky it is, when you see that your annoyance, how stinky that annoyance is, you out you go i can't change the way the face feels but i can change the way i feel about the face yeah okay interesting approach <laughs> it's called dhamma <laughs> <laughs> And in this method of talking about it, it makes it very practical that you can actually see what's going on in, in, in the sense of the, the, the Four Noble Truths, because you can actually be in the state of annoyance. And, and even that's kind of subconscious in the sense that you know it's there, but you haven't woken up to the fact that, yeah, I've got to get that stuff out of here. Okay, Probably, it's going yeah. to be more difficult to, to get rid of that annoyance when it sneaks up on you. And so the don't way, catch it early. Okay. Right, so the way of dealing with it is, is to become aware of the sensation of the feelings of the face and wake up to that before the annoyance starts to grow. Oh, okay. And so I can say, aha, I can see this right now. Yeah, there it is, but I'm not annoyed by it now. Yeah, actually, I'm not annoyed now, and it's there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Because that will give you uh, an opportunity by not being annoyed with it, but in fact, be curious about it instead. That in fact, part of the annoyance has to do with doubt. 
Now, here's what I mean about the doubt about what is this, how to get rid of it. Oh, poor me. And so that the doubt becomes part of that stuff that we're buried in. So now what we're going to do is to use that doubt and change it into curiosity. To recognize okay. you don't know why this is. You don't understand it. You don't know how it comes on, but you're sure going to be watching for it. So that when it comes up, you're only going to allow it to come up and to not being annoyed by it. Okay. In fact, annoyance might make it worse. Yeah, not might. I think <laughs> it's pretty obvious that it makes it worse. Well, now, now we're going in the right direction. So this is what we mean by insiders or when I'm talking about it like this and you can say, yeah, that's right. I can see that's that's going on. This is uh, when that insight gets strong enough that it becomes inspiration. Then you know what you've got to do about it. Okay. Yep. You know that you've got a, a, a task ahead and that you can get right to it because you know what's going on now. And that is, is that I become annoyed and the annoyance makes it worse. Let's figure it out by investigation, not by being annoyed by it. And in fact, <clears throat> one of the ways that we can look at annoyance is like an adult standing doing something at a table or at a counter or whatever, and a child comes up and starts saying, Daddy, 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 and, and yanking on his uh, trouser legs, okay? And the, the, the parent gets annoyed by the child. But the child keeps persisting, right? If the adult would stop what they were doing and pay attention to the child, then their annoyance would go away and they'd become interested in the child. But in fact, by resisting the child, the annoyance grows because the child's not going to go away. That's also true about the sensations. The sensations may not go away, but if you want them to go away, then the annoyance is going to grow. Yeah, and the annoyance may in fact make it worse. And so in that regard, we say, okay, let's pay attention to it closely. Let's give this thing the examination that it needs. Now that it's here, let's start playing with the breath to see how the breath works with it. But we can also do that if we can catch it very, very early, or even if we just think of it. Then we can start playing with the breath to see what effects that it has on it. Now, it's also interesting um, that this may have to do with blood flow. In what sense? Well, I'll, it generally does. Whatever tensions or sensations of change in the head or the face have generally to do with a new level of blood pressure. Okay. If the neck is tightened up, and the heart is giving full blood, then people can develop a headache. In fact, the, the famous one is the migraines. That's why neck rubs are, are somewhat beneficial. It's because it loose, loosens the neck and gets it untight. Okay. So also, there are many things that will, in fact, increase uh, blood flow and blood pressure if we are very relaxed but that we still need the blood. In other words, if the body is very relaxed, but the mind is really active, then there will be a lot of blood flow. And that blood means is that then the, uh, the, the mind or the brain is getting <clears throat> enough oxygen to make it fit for work. Okay. So that's what the breathing is all about, is to get the mind fit for work. But in that process, it's also possible that now the blood pressure has changed because of the blood oxygen content that brings that on for you. I don't know. I'm asking questions for you to begin to do mm. an investigation. Okay. To, uh, uh, to monitor 
How is your breathing in, in relationship to your heart? Do you know how to, in fact, uh, judge your own blood pressure? Because it's very, very subtle. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, in fact, a sphagmometer is very cheap nowadays. $10 on eBay in yeah. the U.S. Okay. So that's one of the things that we can do is to monitor the blood pressure at that time when the uh, the tension is there and then at other times to see if there's any change in, in the blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Now, this won't give you a good accurate reading, but it's in this area that you're interested in. And so when you hold, I've got one here. This is all they look like now. And this is one that fits onto the wrist like this. And so when I would register for you, I would register with your hand up here. It's not going to give you a good actual reading that's correct. Mm -hmm. But it, because of doing it this way, we're not looking at an actual correct reading for it. We're actually looking for differences. Okay. Okay differences between uh, the blood pressure when uh, the, the sensation is strong and then uh, blood pressure when it's not there. Okay. You don't necessarily need this instrument, but you can kind of begin to figure it out for yourself. Mm. Okay. Um, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that's another thing that you can do uh, just to experiment, to try to find out what's going on with this. Okay. And now I'm glad that I got some tools to work with now. All right. But the important tool to work with is the annoyance. Mm -hmm. Do not allow the annoyance to take over of not wanting it to be there. That in fact, the, the right attitude would be, oh, there you are again, old friend. Okay. I know you well. Uh, so, um, in that regard, we intentionally change the feeling of not liking it into the feeling of liking it. We're actually able to, with our attitude, change the way we feel. It's like making friendship again with oneself. About making friendship with oneself. Okay. So that was the first question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds like that it was a very satisfying answer. So I'm yes. glad to hear that. Yes. All right. Really good answers. Thank you. Okay. So what's the second question? The second one was about the goosebumps and like if there's anything to do about it or. Yes. Enjoy. Okay. <laughs> because like filling until the, onto the tip of my toe and like it's in my whole body and it's, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. It has something to do with the oxygenation. That when we're fully oxygenated, when the body is really alive, then those little sensations we pick up on and they begin to mount and ripple and all over the place. All we have to do, in fact, if you're skilled at it, is just think about it and it starts to happen. Okay. <laughs> but probably not what's the right word long for it or how to say no 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 not if you can get it anytime you want it what's longing got to do with it no no i mean like right now like when i sit down i'm like yeah it would be cool if that would be there again so i'm kind of like wanting it a bit yeah all right well that's the guarantee you're not going to have it <laughs> yes that's what i thought <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the whole point about it that makes it so um, not, yeah, confusing, I would say. And for many people, we practice wrongly. We, we want things, and so we try to get them in our, through and by our meditation. 
And the whole point is, know that we really feel good when we don't want anything. Just stop wanting stuff. Because you're already good. You've got it. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when, when it got away, <laughs> I, I could really catch the, like, the dissatisfaction. Okay, like you had 10 minutes of real joy now, and now you feel dissatisfied because it gone away? That makes no sense. Go away. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Funny how, how the mind plays tricks on you. It is definitely unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> that in fact, uh, the complete understanding of Paticca Samampada actually points out how unreliable the mind actually is. Here's one of the ways that it's unreliable. And that is, is that from childhood, little children have a lot of fun until adults come around and give them orders and things to do. And the child doesn't want to do it. He wants to play instead. And so this child starts doing things that he doesn't want to do, which means now he's feeling bad because he's got to do stuff he doesn't want to do. And we also have to avoid getting punished, that in fact we tend to remember strongly big emotional times, and that normally comes in the form of, of a trauma. An example of that, little Johnny is writing on the wall, And mama comes in and she scolds the kid. And oh no, now he's got a hang up about uh, art. Yeah. Yeah. If, if in fact mom had said, oh, what a beautiful drawing this is, but this is not the right place to, to do the drawing. Here, let me get you an art kit. But oh no, the way that she did it, the, more, the wall's more important than the kid, right? Uh, yeah. and, and he knows that right now, okay? And he could have been a Picasso. Who knows, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so he's going to remember that, and it's going to affect him the rest of his life. He spent 20 minutes of joy, but he doesn't remember the right, the doing of the art on the wall. He remembers the scolding and perhaps the spanking. Mm. This is what happens, is, and this is instinctual. This is survival mode that we're in when we're little kids and we never quite get out of survival mode and is survival this, mode. Well, this one is full of false positives, hmm? a lot of false positives for what we, uh, um, for fear. And so we tend to remember all of the traumas, And we don't remember the good times. So that's one of the ways where the mind is unreliable. Just the stuff that we remember that we store away. Never mind the fact that we don't really have good, solid, sensory stuff. Dogs can smell better than we can. Bees can see a whole field of flowers and know which one of them have already been visited by their neighbor bee. Humans, they, they don't look any different to us. And all kinds of things show that we're not even very good at sensory input. That's why there's so much technology is to assist us with sensory input. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're using technology for the sensory input so that we can do this Skype call. Because sure. we couldn't do this without, yeah. the, without all of that hardware. <laughs> right? So that's how limited we are. We're really, really, really... Uh, narrowed down to just what we can see and what we can hear and that's what we store away and our feelings about it. So the mind is unreliable in gathering data, the mind is unreliable in remembering data, and is doggone sure unreliable in bringing up data because we get forgetful. We remember things that didn't happen. And so in that regard, that gives you three reasons why the mind is unreliable. Okay. And yeah. yet here we all go around thinking that, oh, I am so smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Sorry, you're only at the human level. And <laughs> AI is already proving that we're not very good at it. Okay. So just let it be. Not wanting <laughs> for it. <laughs> exactly so. Okay. Is that your question that the human mind is unreliable? Because we nailed that one, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> okay, yeah. So I, maybe I just wanted to make more out of out of it that it is, or that it was, like the sensations. Well, well, actually, that's exactly the big problem that people want to make more out of the human mind than it actually is. that my mind is special, I'm better than you are, you know, and all of that um, 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 manna is the poly word, I am, conceit, comparisons, that's all what keeps us from being friends with each other is because I'm not willing, I'm, I'm almost half willing to accept the fact that you're an idiot, I'm just not quite willing <laughs> to accept the fact that I am too. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's hard to accept that when you catch yourself doing it. For example, when you talk to someone and they don't have a clue about meditation and you feel like, yeah, actually I'm better than you. And then you think, what the fuck are you thinking about? Like, I'm not better than <laughs> Exactly. But any time that we, uh, we compare ourselves to another, we only do it with a very, very limited set of criteria. Yeah that we pick and choose how we're going to, I'm better than him because I know about meditation. <laughs> yes. And he's thinking I am better than he is because I got more money <laughs> or I'm better dressed or, or I'm better than he is because I'm a female. <laughs> Strange thought so, patterns. That's exactly right. And what it does is, is it tries to list, lift us out of our own innate sense of inferiority or the loser or the victim. That we're trying to artificially build ourselves up. When we're willing to accept the way that we really are, then we generally don't compare ourselves to other people so much anymore. And that comes like when right attitude is really good, then there's no comparison because then there's nothing to compare. Oh, okay. When the attitude is com completely correct, but along the way, there is a time. Huh, how to say it? You can see this actually in martial arts. When the guy gets to the point that he's actually uh, a contender for the world championship, he will actually get himself into brawls that he doesn't need to get himself into. But the old master, he may have to wind up fighting from time to time, but generally he figures out a way to not ever get anywhere near a fight. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so if we can take that one point from martial arts into the way that we live our lives, so we've become now not a master of martial arts, we've become a master of living. So that we don't ever get anywhere near a fight. Yeah, no comparison, nothing. Hmm. And sort that out as well, right? Like if I see that, yeah, that's dissatisfaction as well, go away. Right, exactly. Comparing ourselves is finding dissatisfaction. This is, in fact, the whole story or the point behind the teaching in the Bible of the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, many, many people get hung up on the details of the story about talking snakes and apples and trees and uh plantations or uh, paradises and things like that. But the real story is that they had to eat the fruit and the eating the fruit means you have to bear the result. Like eating humble pie or and the fruit 
like the fruit of your labors or the fruit of knowledge or the fruit of the loom or all of that kind of stuff is kind of the result. And so the eating of the fruit of what? The knowledge of good and evil, which means I go around saying I'm good, that's evil, I like this, I don't like that. Basically, that's how it actually goes, is, is that the feeling, I like it, winds up becoming uh, the wanting, I want it. And then also the ultimate or the idealization of it, it must be good. Similarly, I don't like something, therefore I don't want it around, therefore it inherently becomes, in my mind, bad. Okay, and if I go around claiming things are good and bad or right and wrong, then that means that I've always got half a paradise to slice up to figure out which half I like and which half I want. And as we do, our paradise begins to shrink and shrink and shrink. Okay, yeah, yeah, understand it. Okay. All right, so this is then the whole point about judgment, which goes back to the point about when the mind is free, then we don't judge and compare ourselves or anything else, that everything is actually okay. It really is. Things are good now. And when they're good now, freedom from suffering, and that's the third noble truth, and bingo. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it again. (laughs) Yes, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially this this judgmental, and like when when there's sati or whatever, like... The first step is to see, okay, there's judgmental, and then the second step is to not judge yourself for being judgmental, but being fine that you threw it out. So there's, there's always this two-step for me to, to not beat myself up for having this bad thoughts. And then, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a funny process. Exactly. And so this is all then about a, a slow sh- development of the skill of having the right attitude. Attitude is a skill to be developed. And this is why they call the, the, the Buddha a lion, is because that was his level of um, uh, self-confidence. Okay, so we covered pressure and goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've covered the mind and <laughs> what's yeah. it worth. Yeah. <laughs> It's reliable of the mind, yeah. yeah. It's not very reliable at all. And so you said also a question about a book. Yes, um, because I wanted to get more technical or something like that, because I was not really sure what to do on the cushion. Because in daily life, I do this like note, like remember, write view, okay, this is Dukkha, throw it out, take a deep breath, and then I'm fine again. And I do it all the time, and I'm like, it's really cool. And uh, then I read the book, it's called Mindfulness of Breathing, a serious guide for beginners or something like that. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu. Yes. And um, it was, I think, a little bit too technical for me because it starts with Kaya Pasana and then like in, contemplates a long breath, contemplates a short breath, sees that the breath conditions That's the in mind. Fact, the whole way that I teach, I teach right out of that book. Um. Okay, then I got more questions. <laughs> because then I got to step four, and step four really confused me. Like um, putting this guard at the nostrils, and then like bringing up this nimata, nimita, nimata, like this mental image, and then let's, changing. Let's not, it. let's not go there, okay? Let's just stay with what we can do right now. That That's. Um, um, it's actually really not that that useful, or let us say appropriate, until much later in one's practice. Okay. Okay. That's the answer to that. Yes. Uh, there's a history and a background of nematas, and we'll go into that at a later time. Okay. So, because it's the only thing that got me confused is that you can't do the later steps if you haven't finished or whatever the first steps so you always no. start with going no, no, the long no. then the short no then the... 
No, 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 no. That's the whole point. And in fact, if that book left that impression, sorry about that. But in fact, Anapanasati cannot be practiced in that order. And that's one of the reasons why many people fail at it. Okay. But in fact, uh, the way that we've been doing it all along, and we've been talking about Asati, well, that's step nine. Gladdening the mind. Aha, I see you, Myra. That's step 10. Taking a deep breath then is back to step one. Beginning to relax then is step four. Becoming uh, a goose bumpy, that's step uh, five. Yeah, five, that's pity, you're probably right. Uh huh. And yeah. step six is the sukha. So, yeah, it's all there. Watching the mind when it's coming in and out and the seeing the process going, that's step 13. So, yeah, we're practicing Anapanasati. Yeah, and that's what got me so confused because I got up to, like, I haven't read the whole book. I got up to chapter 10 until I realized, okay, everything we talked about is more like step 9 and 10. And then I was going back. But here's like one step at a time. And okay, it doesn't make sense. Okay, but now it's okay, it's fine. Okay. Okay. So. Yes, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is doing it in that order because that's the order that it's in, in the Anapanasati Sutta. And the order that is in, in the Satipatthana Sutta is done that way, most specifically because Anapanasati fits into the Satipatthana. And the Satipatthana is kind of firm in the sense of Kaya, Vedana, Chitta, Dhamma. That's just, I think that it comes out of the old, old culture of um, uh, the physical world of Rupa, uh, uh, of Kaya, body, physical form, dirt, earth. Then the next is fluidity or water, which is the feelings. The next one is fire, which is your mind. And then the clouds of the air, that's like the thoughts that are going by. And so that's old history. And that's why it's caught up in that. I mean, we're talking about a 3,000-year-old reason <laughs> why people get hung up in trying to do Kaya Vedana Chitta Dhamma in that order, when in fact, it's not possible. Okay. Physically not possible. You mm -hmm. cannot just take your body into the meditation hall and leave your feelings, your mind, and the mind's objects in the bed. Yeah, and it was like it was like this this big mountain. Okay, like there has to be like some mental image that says there is no mental image, and <laughs> yeah, it, it led up to I don't know expectations or not not feeling good enough. If because... there's any mistakes in that book, is that it says for beginners because it's not. <laughs> Okay, so like, but it's complete. That's the whole point. It's a, it's a complete guide for beginners to understand the complete guide. But you got to read the whole book several times to be able to put the stuff together. But once you do, then you say, oh yeah, it's together. This is a this is a, a whole practice, and in fact, it's quite. Uh, um, uh, at the end of that book, it does have the uh, translation of the Anapanasati Sutta, which is mm -hmm. quite useful. And uh, in there, it talks about that Anapanasati is practiced for the fulfillment of the uh, four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana. And that the Satipatthana is practiced for the fulfillment of the Sambhujana, the seven factors of enlightenment. And that the seven factors of enlightenment are practiced for the fulfillment of knowledge and deliverance. Now, there we're talking about most specifically the kalesa, that we gather up these factors and make these skills of the Sambo Jhana. We get those skills developed out of the Eightfold Noble Path. In fact, the Eightfold Noble Path is the skills to be developed. And the Sambhujana 
is the developed skills so that our mindfulness becomes unremitting, that our joy, our pity becomes available so that um, let us say that we're practicing mudita with someone who's grumpy. If you say hi and they're grumpy, most people will walk away. Yes. (laughs) No, you got to keep going and going and going and going because grumpy people are hard to get close to. But if you keep giving them joy, the joy will eventually take over. It's like, who can make the most uh, emotional noise here? And my joy is so noisy that it's drowning out your pity party. (laughs) Okay. Which means we got to have some pretty noisy joy going on. That's, That's the developed pity. So that you can actually give excitement when it's needed. Okay. So then, so, yeah. Okay. No, I've just about said it. That's how we practice. We practice anapanasati for the fulfillment of the of the sati of satipatthana. That's why it's in the order that it's in. But the skills that we're developing is actually number one on the list is mindfulness, sati. That's why we call it anapanasati. That's why we call it the satipatthana. That's why sati is on the Eightfold Noble Path and it's number one on the factors of enlightenment. Because if you cannot, it doesn't matter what skill you have, you can't do that skill if you forget to do it. (laughs) And so sati is the number one skill to wake up, to keep waking up, to keep noting, Mm. keep seeing. That's the second one which is uh, investigation. Keep looking. And so that's the sequence that we're talking about with these sensations in the face is to wake up and investigate them. Mm. And hopefully we can do that before we get annoyed about it. Okay, because then it's a layer and we first have to get rid of annoyance and then, okay. Because otherwise you got to deal with the annoyance and then the sensation. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's just deal with the sensations first right away and not have to deal with the annoyance of it. Okay, so when sitting down then, um, I like I'm still missing a guide. Like, I don't know how to say it like exactly do this now, like now put your attention on the nostrils and now be aware of that and now do this. Um, Because there's sometimes I don't even know where my attention is. I just know that I'm aware of not thinking that I'm aware. Okay. In the sutta, it talks about it like this. And so we'll do it this way. Understand that this breath is a long, deep breath. And understand or note that this breath is a long out breath. Now, that noting takes very little time. It's almost like kicking off a long deep breath. And then the rest of that long deep breath, you've got plenty of time to do all kinds of other stuff. But we always keep coming back and anchoring our sati to that breath. We touch the breath just enough to say this is a long deep out breath. Oh, this is a long, deep in-breath. And that's all we have to do. But that's the, that's the key point. And what if nothing else is to do? Like, I, well, we I have don't 16 if... steps of Anapanasati to deal with. <laughs> okay, this is just two of them. The Sati at the uh, point of time of coming into the breath and the point in time of taking the deep out-breath. So... The rest of the time can be built on gladdening the mind. Step 10, a skill to be developed. And that's where it's like the question comes in. What if there's nothing to gladdening? I don't know if I'm not awake enough, but there's a thought every 20 seconds. And besides that, there's not much. Like I can't throw something out. Like my body got this there. You can't find anything good about this present moment? Yeah, good I can, but not, not bad. All right, well, then tell yourself how good this present moment is. I mean, look at the leaves and the trees here. Okay. There's all kinds of stuff happening. 
and we can begin to pay attention to it with the eyes, with the senses. Let's be here now in the senses and really enjoy it. So be aware of whatever it is in the now. Like I can be aware of the sound of the birds, of my body touching the floor, of like knowing mm -hmm. my foot is Isn't there. Isn't that marvelous that you can actually get all of that done as opposed to yum, 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 <laughs> that we do <laughs> that brings so much unhappiness. Yeah, to actually it feels good to be here in the present moment. And so you begin to allow yourself to enjoy being in the present moment. And so like, I, I think I have to push a lot of things out that I wrote. So there's no nostrils, there's no concentration on the nostrils, there's no trying to one-pointedness. Okay. No, all we're working right now, we're not trying to concentrate the mind down to a point of uh, shutting it off. We're just kind of cutting things in half so far. Wholesome versus unwholesome. Okay. That's all we need to do. If we can't train the mind to do that, then getting it to come down to only one or two words is not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to what's doable and not okay. Get it. Yeah, let's <laughs> go do something that we know that we can do that's beneficial and wholesome and stop trying to do things that are beyond our abilities right now okay so like in that like short another question like what has more value because i really like to read about all this dharma stuff and the books and like listen to all your talks when i'm on my commute and all this like what's what has more value what is more wholesome to do, try to do the practice while having this wait time in daily life like commute or cooking or whatever or but you can do both yeah, I try to do both. That, exactly. Yeah, you can have it. You can listen to a Dhamma talk and remember to breathe. Just keep track of the breath. Okay. So it's not like, how to say, unskillful to do like two things at once, like these two things at once. They're not two things at once. The better, much better way to talk about it is, is that a deep, long in-breath and out-breath takes 10, 12 seconds. And you got tons of time in that 12 seconds. Okay, yeah. And you can go from here to there and back and forth and all, you know, the thing of it is, can you keep coming back to the breath? Once every six seconds, you come back to the breath. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't let the breath, you don't let the mind completely wander away. You always keep coming back to the breath. On the in-breath and on the out-breath. Okay. That's a good daily practice, but you can't do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> but never mind, start again. Yes. Whenever you think of it, never mind, start again. Okay, so this probably, let me take a quick look, please. Blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, this cleared up a lot of questions for me. Good, good. All right. Well, we'll see you later then. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> sure. Bye. Bye-bye.